0: welcome to broad eye the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the broad eye podcast my name is sean maloney and today i'm going to be interviewing lex gillette so lex is a five-time paralympic athlete uh, and an all-around interesting guy so lex welcome to the show
1: hey what's going on sean how are you
0: good good i'm happy to be chatting again um it's, uh, it's fun to have someone like you on the other end here that I can put in the hot seat and ask all kinds of questions to, uh, oh, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna dive into career and, uh. and, and everything in between. So, uh, I think it'll be fun, but, uh, I was hoping maybe we could start off just with talking a little bit about your, your backstory, right? So, um, you know, you have a visual impairment and I was hoping that maybe you can just tell the story of like, how did that happen? Uh, and you know, maybe what age you were just to give a little bit of context for people listening and maybe you know, some of the initial challenges or even how that was all received, uh, you know, by your family as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I literally came home from school one day, I was born with sight. So I could see up until I was eight years old. And I had come home from school one day went through my normal routine. That evening, as I was getting ready for bed, I was I was actually inside of the bathtub, washing myself up. I started realizing that something was different with my eyesight things were starting to look blurry and look faint my mom had thought maybe i had gotten something in my eyes from playing outside earlier in the day we took some water cleaned my eyes out didn't help the situation so we went to the doctor had an examination after that examination they said that they as in the doctor said that i was suffering from retina detachments and uh that led us to the first of 10 operations that I had that year alone, that one year that, that I was eight years old to try and fix retina detachments. It was go to the doctor, have that, that operation. I would be able to see well for about three to four weeks. And after that time, my sight would get blurry again. We would have another examination, Retina is detached again, have another operation I could see well site stabilized for about three to four weeks after that time, site began to get even more blurry than what it was previously. So that was the pattern for the entire time that I was eight years old. And after the last operation, the doctor said that I, there, there wasn't anything else they could do to help my site. So as you can imagine at eight years old, yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely challenging. It was difficult, but my mom has been a really uh, amazing influence in my life and and I had her as a really good example largely because she has glaucoma even though she has usable sight um you know I just I, I never really saw her as someone who who had a, a disability or a visual visual impairment because she was a go-getter she was making sure that I had everything that I needed and she went to work and she would come home and she would go with me to different programs or sporting events when I, once I got into athletics and yeah, I just never really saw her as someone who was incapable. Um, And uh, you know, that really served as a, as a great example for me. She was a really good role model and really established this, this mindset of, of no excuses.
0: And I think that's something that, uh, you, I mean, you clearly in, embody that now, right? That's probably something that you, you you know, has something really important that you've, you've taken from your, your mother. Um, I think in our previous conversation, if I'm not mistaken, you had mentioned that athletics comes from your mother's side of the family. So I was hoping yeah. maybe you can just talk about that a little bit. And also, you know, why athletics? Like what drew you into athletics in general um, as a, as a kid?
1: So yeah, my, the athletics comes from, my mom's side of the family, my mom, my auntie's uncle, grandmother, grandfather, everyone played some sort of sport. And even prior to me losing my sight, I can vaguely remember going to some of their softball games. They 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 would play in adult leagues and things like that. So um, go out there and, and, and watch them play softball, baseball. There was nothing for, the family to be out in, in my grandmother's backyard. She has a very large backyard people out there running around, having a good time. And that was, you know, I was a part of that prior to me losing my sight. And and my mom had gotten me into different things like, like learning to swim. And I used to play rec league baseball. When I was a little guy, once I lost my sight, the challenge was number one, being able to transition from, once being able to see and then now being blind but from there it was my mom finding different programs and resources one of those things being adaptive sports and rec I learned about goalball I learned about baseball learned about just so many different uh just so many different things and um so you know once I successfully transitioned to this world of 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 blindness if you will and once I got a lot more comfortable with maneuvering around I was running around outside with my friends and and having a, a good old time having a great time so um, getting to that space was huge because it really elevated my my confidence and self-esteem and once I got into to middle school I was introduced to to track and field I, I was a shot putter in eighth grade which is really funny because at that time I was I was I don't know I might have been like five six five seven maybe a hundred pounds and I'm throwing this this shot put I don't think that they were 16 pounds in, in middle school probably a, a little less but you know i'm i'm a smaller kid throwing this shot put but nevertheless i was out there part of a team hanging out with friends my mom would show up to the meets and things like that so that was really awesome but it wasn't until i got into high school that's when i really found my love for track and field and it was through this physical fitness test where a lot of kids in the school had to participate you had a number of different activities that you had to complete pull ups sit ups push ups One of the activities was standing long jumps, stand in one spot, jump as far as you can. I was one of the best in my class. I was the best in my class and one of the best in the entire school. From there, my teacher, the visually impaired, Mr. Whitmer, told me about the Paralympics. He takes me out to the track one day, shows me everything about the long jump, including the the runway, how wide the runway is, how long it is shows me that there is a takeoff board in the ground, that's where you jump from, shows me the long jump pit, the width of it, the length of it. I was able to gain an idea of what that environment looked like. He then told me that this is a strategy. This is how we're going to do it. I'm gonna stand at the takeoff board. I'm gonna clap and yell. You can't see where I'm standing, but you can hear me. And as with any jumper, Sighted or not, they know how many strides that it takes for them to navigate from start to finish. We're going to establish the right amount of steps for you. You're going to count those steps in your head, and at the right step, you'll jump, soar through the air, and land in the sand. And of course, in the beginning, it was definitely challenging, it was definitely, definitely frightening. But as with all things, you, you continue to work at it, work at it, work at it, and hopefully on that road you have some amazing people who will help you and invest time and energy into you, and, and they will help you ascend to heights that you previously didn't see. Wow, no, that's that's amazing.
0: Now you mentioned, I think you said Mr. Whitmore, but was he you said he was visually impaired also.
1: Yes, he uh he was my so he was my my visually impaired teacher, but yes, he he does have a, a visual impairment. Um I want to say he has optic nerve atrophy. So he he certainly has uh usable eyesight for sure. Um but yeah, you know, he was another person who really helped to shatter this idea of. OK, well, if you have a disability and then you, you must, you know, life must be difficult for you or you might uh, just just endure some 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 huge challenges. But, you know, h- hanging around him and my mom, they totally obliterated that 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 thinking.
0: You know, which is amazing, right? Like it's, you, you know, we all kind of have to accept our reality and deal with it. Right. So and you, you certainly have um, have done that. I just wanted to dig in a little bit more into the training. Like, just if I find it I find it interesting in general. Um, you talked about some of the adaptations. Are there any other training related adaptations that, as somebody with a visual impairment, you have had to make? And uh, or uh, in terms of competition, um, generally speaking, let's say in the Paralympics for for long jump or even other events that come to mind that you have a lot of experience in. You know, what are some of the other adaptations? Uh, and the reason I want to bring this up is just for people listening to this to you know recognize how you or you know the sport in general has looked at some of the challenges with training or competing and you know found uh, ways to circumvent those and and allow people to to compete at a very high level.
1: For sure you, you of course you take the long jump, for example, where you have your guide standing in one location, which, the reason that they don't run with you, run alongside you, I think a couple of reasons. Number one, it's a Paralympic, it's a rule. So they have to stand stationary and the athlete has to navigate by themselves down the the runway. And then number two, it would be pretty difficult to run alongside someone. And then at the very last minute, you you kind of disconnect from them and then you jump into the to the sandpit. I mean, you would really have to be on your your p's and q's to make sure that would be seamless and and um, you know a, a, a successful outcome. Um, but to that point, when you're on the track and you're participating in a running event, you're designated two lanes: one lane for you, one lane for your guide, and For all of the athletes who are participating in the 11 category, so for those listening, in the Paralympics, you have different disability classes, and the visually impaired category has three levels of of visual impairment. You have the 11, 12, and 13 athletes. If you are identified as an 11, you're basically totally blind or you might have light projection light perception if you are a 12 or a 13 there's a certain visual acuity that you have and that's measured by the 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 af or not the athletes but the um the ophthalmologists or doctors that they have who are doing the the classifications in the uh in the paralympics so you go through this um I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but you have to get uh you basically go through a number of tests and they deem you to be 11, 12, or 13. I compete in the 11 category and to ensure that everyone is in fact totally blind, they do require us to wear a blindfold. So getting back to the track, the athlete has on the blindfold, the guide, of course, does not. They're guiding the athlete down the track, around the curves, making sure that they navigate successfully from start line to finish line. And as they're running, you they the, the two of them have a tether, which connects the the tandem at the hand. So you're wanting to make sure that as you're running, you want to make sure that you're having the smoothest race possible, especially when you think about sprinting, where first place and fourth place can be separated by two tenths of a second. And that is, I mean, you think about, you think about running down that track sprinting as fast as you can. If you are not in sync with your guide, that is going to be something that that hinders you. It's going to slow you down a little bit. You're gonna be jockeying for a position. Um, And you you don't want that. You want to make sure that when you're running, for example, I start with my left foot forward and my right foot back, which means that opposite of your left leg forward would be your right arm is forward. Opposite of your right leg being back would mean your, your left arm is back. Your guide is wanting to mirror that that is what's going to help you have a smooth race. So since I start with my left leg forward, right foot back, my guide who is running on my right-hand side is going to have his left leg back and his right leg forward. So it's almost like a modern day three-legged race, if you will, but you're connected at at the hand. And, And again, you're wanting to make sure that you have the smoothest race possible and ensuring that it is a smooth race means that you're going to have to train Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, working on that to, to become one. And, uh, you know, of course you put in that training and you're able to go to the Paralympic games. Um, but those are, you know, how the, the, the adaptations look when it comes to the, uh, the track and field.
0: that's, That's amazing. this is just a question just out of personal interest. (laughs) It has nothing to do with being visually impaired. Uh, Training in general, like other than, you know, other than what you just described, um, building the, you know, the explosiveness needed for, um, you know, the long jump. What is, uh, like, what does your training regimen look like uh, maybe at different cycles of, uh, you know, of preparation, like, you know, when you're a year out, six months out, whatever?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. So we, so of course, the, the Olympic and Paralympic cycle is is typically four years. I say typically because this last cycle was five years, given the, the postponing of the game. So that was a little challenging. However, four-year cycle, you look at your end goal. Where do you want to end up? What do you want to do? Of course, most athletes want to go to the games. You want to get on the podium. You want to win gold. We have that end goal and we work backwards, all right, well, this is where we want to be in year four. This is where we want to be in year three. This is where we want to be in year two, year one. And then we will look at the theme for each year. So you might have, you know, in in year one, I'm really trying to work on strength. Year two, the the overall theme is uh, power or year three speed, you know, things like that. And then you break it down even smaller and you look at it from month to month. Now, the thing that really stays consistent within each year is that those first couple months, two or three months, we don't even, we rarely, rarely ever touch the runway to do any jumping. We are doing a lot of, a lot of running 200 meter repeats, hundred meter, 150 meter repeats, running up heels lifting in the weight room, squats, power cleans, Unfortunately, my strength and conditioning coach does not let me do much of bench pressing, which is terrible because I'm in San Diego. You got the beach out here. I can't be looking, you know, I can't look like out, out of the out of like a fish. You walk, out around, of water. In bo-
0: you, you walk around in board shorts. No one knows just how just how strong your legs are, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I need I need some proportion need something or
1: something. Yeah. Right. Um, so we're doing everything that we do is is a lot of core it's a lot of legs. It is making sure that um, building that flexibility, making sure that you are establishing that foundation so that after those three months that you're building that foundation, now you can get to the technical aspects of training. Now you can do the box jumps and we can get on the runway and we work on the, the runway approach and we start to to do some light jumping and, um, and we will then transition from that, that technical aspect to getting into the, uh, like the competition season. And, um, once you get to the competition season, you have basically established a, a strong base, a strong foundation to be able to sustain a, a great competition year. And competition for me, typically, I will start in mid to late April. And it'll end at the championships, which will usually happen in July or August. So we'll have a world championships in 2022. I'm not sure. I think it's either in July or August, one of the two. We'll have another world championships in 2023. And then we'll have the Paralympic Games in 2024. So you're really working to, you're wanting to make sure that you are crossing all your T's, dotting all your I's, making sure that each day that you're out there, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're achieving the goals that you have for that day, which then leads to, okay, These are the goals that we wanted to achieve for the month. We've done that. Then that leads into competition and you're able to see what you're doing in those competitions. After you get those results, competition to competition, you're able to say, okay, well, I could have done better in this area. I could have done better with my, my body positioning on the runway or on the track. When I'm in the air, when I'm flying through the air, landing in the sandpit, and you take that information, make the proper adjustments so that once you get to the qualifiers, national championships, or the Paralympic trials, you are dialed in. You know exactly what you need to do. Boom, you make the team for world championships and the Paralympic games. And you use that time in between the qualifiers and the championships to really dial it in and make sure that you are in the best position because once you get to worlds and the Paralympics, you got to put it out there. You only have that one moment in time. So you want to make sure that you are in tip top shape and, and, and uh, you're making sure that when you get to the games or championships that you are ready to ready to roll.
0: You know, it's amazing. And you just, you're describing this It all. (laughs) sends chills through my spine, you know, I like to think oh hey i'll you know i'll work out four days a week in my <laughs> own gym and it's and it's good and it's just like the the level of commitment needed to perform at the level you perform at it's not like it's orders of magnitude above what you know anybody uh, myself included might call himself a recreational athlete could you know even fathom right it just it's just it is a it is a vocation. It's not a, Hey, yeah. I'm going to work out and get fit. Right. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely true, but I think it's also important to note that, I mean, being physically active is that's important. I believe for, for all of us. And I think where the challenge is where we as human beings fall into this trap is, you know, you start to look at what other people are doing and, and we fall into this space of comparing what we're doing to what, I might be doing or you know what another athlete is doing when in actuality it's all about setting goals for yourself and and accomplishing those goals if you want to get out there and your goal is to get a a good jog in 30 minutes four days out of the week do that that's that's important really get out there and move around if your goal is to oh okay well i want to stretch for 15 20 minutes a day i want to meditate i want to do some yoga do that all of those things are important. I literally, like, we do all of those things. We, we work on stretching. We do the Pilates. We do the yoga. We, we also work on our breathing. All of those things are important. And I think that for, for each of us as human beings, whether you consider yourself a highly competitive athlete or you consider yourself uh, recreational, if that's the word that you want to use, um, you set those goals and you go after that. Now, that's the biggest thing
0: no it makes sense and i think it's you know it's just recognizing recognizing that and then there's always trade-offs right yeah. um i'm gonna guess i'm gonna just venture a guess that i drink more beer than you do <laughs> <Right>. you, you, <laughs> you know, yeah you probably, yeah, you you probably got
1: me beat
0: you know, you know so i mean like there's there's trade-offs there right so uh, yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's you know the reality it's like <laughs> i'm not gonna am not gonna run like you and jump like you if i drink beer like i do But <laughs> <laughs> um I, so i wanted to talk about tokyo um a place we've both been i was there uh both, uh i was there in 2015 uh as a tourist you were there as an athlete so we'll talk more about your experience so just uh you know maybe just leading up to tokyo um, how it went uh, you know what it meant to you uh you know any any moments that stand out from from the games
1: yeah tokyo was was obviously interesting i think it was a it was a, an experience a An interesting experience across the board for many athletes, depending on their, you know, their, their situation, of course, leading up to the games, it was challenging for a lot of, a lot of us. I think that I consider myself blessed in the sense of, you know, eventually I was still able to use the facility here in San Diego, California, but that was not the case for a lot of my teammates and, and, and probably other athletes. Around the world, and and I can't say. <laughs> I mean, of course, I want everybody to be their absolute, absolute, uh, absolute best. But what I was going to say is, you know, I, I I wanted more so my my fellow Americans to to be able to to have everything that they needed. Leading up to Tokyo, and the reason I point that out is because I have friends who they were not able to get on the track at all. They were getting kicked out of different facilities because of the obvious COVID-19, the pandemic. Um, And yeah, it was just challenging for every single one of us. Fortunately, we were able to get to Tokyo. It was definitely a different experience. I always tell people I only went to four places, the airport the Athlete's Village, the training venue, and the competition venue. We weren't allowed to go out into the city or anything like that, which I'm envious of you as, as, a, as a person who visited in, in 2015 a few years ago, because I'm pretty sure you had a phenomenal time. I had a phenomenal time too, but a part of that experience is, is going in and checking out the culture, the food. Tokyo is an amazing place. I was, I wanted to go to Tokyo Disney. I heard that they have like a real life Mario Kart situation that you can, that you can, uh, you know, get on the streets and ride in the Bowser Kart or the, you know, the Mario Kart. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a probably a Nintendo Museum out there. There's so much going on in Tokyo. And that was the portion that we weren't able to experience, which um, that'll just, give me another reason to go back in the future, but athletically speaking, yeah, we went to those four locations. Every day that we woke up, we had to provide a a saliva sample for for the COVID test. So before you brushed your teeth, before you drank water or anything, you had to provide that sample and we had to take that sample up to a, a specific room and drop it in this bag, which as a side note, I would hate to be that person who had to take that bag and, 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 and unleash that those samples into whatever machine it was, because that just, oh, it's just <laughs> wild to, to think about. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was literally training competition, competition venue in previous games. You walk in, you hear the crowd, 80,000, 90,000 people screaming, yelling, cheering. PA announcer is on the the loudspeaker. You hear music. There's a lot. Like, you literally feel that energy and that electricity inside of the stadium. This time, it was more along the lines of literally when we showed up to the warm-up track to prepare for competition, dead silence. Didn't hear much of anything. Cicadas. And and, you know, her teammates who were also preparing to compete during, you know, during that that night session, that evening session. So that was right off the bat. It was like, oh, wow. Then we go to the call tent, which is that's the area where when they come on the the loudspeaker and say, oh, well, men's 11 long jump report to the call room. Now you go to the call room, they're checking you in, making sure that you have the right uniform on and the right bib numbers, making sure that your shoes meet the, the appropriate length for the spikes, um, making sure that your blindfold is in fact opaque. So they're, they're running through your bags, all of those things, making sure you don't have any electronics in your bag. They take all electronics, cell phone, any, everything. Then they guide you from from the call room to this other holding area where that is the that's like the the point of no return. Once you get to that area, you know, it's it's almost time to get out there and compete. There's a another there's a warm up track there. So there's a few lanes where you can put your spikes on. You can run around, get yourself, get yourself moving, continuing to stay warm. They eventually get us all lined up, walk us out into the track, and again in previous games when you step when you step out of the the, the um out of that hallway that tunnel that we walk through, and you walk up that incline and it eventually opens up into that stadium. Oh, you hear absolutely everything, but this year you heard nothing at all. It was it was like being at a high school meet. And, um, and 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 uh, you know what? It almost felt like we were at a just a typical training session down here in, in Southern Cali. So, uh, yeah, that that was very interesting. But as with any competition, the atmosphere it changes. Environments are different. But nevertheless, you have to be ready to go. Similar to how we were talking about the breakdown of, of the training cycle. You just got to tap into everything that you've been working on over the past year, two, three, four years, and, and put it all on display. That's a, uh,
0: that's gotta be, yeah, I, I guess that everybody's in the same, um, in the same playing field there, right? When you walk out and all that training, all that time, especially if you've been to, you know, four Paralympic events before that, and you like just the rush of the, the you know, 80,000 people, you know, uh, cheering and everything else, The uh, I guess it brings up a question is, um, of the five that you've attended,
1: um, what was your favorite maybe and why? London, 2012, absolute favorite right now. Um, I will say, as an aside, I truly believed that had it been a non-pandemic environment, I think that Tokyo would have definitely rivaled London and it may have surpassed London, but given the circumstances, I'm I'm gonna stick with London 2012. The the environment in London was absolutely incredible. From Olympic to Paralympic, it's pretty, it's pretty equal. The the understanding and awareness of Paralympic sport in the UK is absolutely it's it's through the roof. Everyone understands what's going on. That, that, like Paralympians are on billboards, on game shows, on, like it's just Im- embedded into their into their uh, into their culture. And, you know, no one really thinks any any differently where it's, it's totally different here within the boundaries of the United States and probably a lot of country, other countries around the world. The 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 competition was amazing. All of the track and field sessions were sold out. They showed so much love for, of course, for the for the Brits. They showed so much love for all of the athletes who competed. the The facilities were incredible, amazing. It's always nice to compete in a country that speaks English, um, and uh, and just you know, personally as an athlete, to be able to to compete, then leave the stadium and and say walk through. You know walk through one of the local malls and people like oh we watched you compete we saw you on tv can we take a picture or you know those types of things it's, it just really makes you feel good and uh yeah i mean london was absolutely absolutely just amazing
0: so you've done, i mean you've done more than compete you know you've medaled right so maybe you, yeah. you can just talk talk about that experience
1: yeah that i mean that's that is that's what we do it for right to be able to get on that podium. To win a a gold medal, silver or bronze, you know, preferably gold, um, but to be on that to be on that podium, to know that like after you complete competition, to know that you have secured a medal-winning finish, you're already like, oh, I can't wait for this. That, that like when we um, all of the times that I've competed after i've secured my my medal winning finish you'll you'll have an american flag that's thrown down to you and you're holding it up in the air and they're taking pictures and you leave from the competition area you then go to what is called the the mix zone that's where you talk to the media and they're asking you about your impressions of the competition and how you felt which you you know what you know how could it have been better did you do your best all of those types of things so you're, you're dealing with the media from there you will then um you might immediately go to your medal ceremony or your your medal ceremony might be a few hours from that time like you know if you compete at at uh 5 p.m your medal ceremony could be at 9 p.m so you might have a little bit of time to wait around but um yeah, you 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 then go and get your medal ceremony gear because we have a totally different attire for when we stand on the podium. This year it was one of the one of the sickest ones, one of the this dope the dopest ones that we've had. Where it had the all white, had the the white mask as well, and I think the the shoes were blue. Um, but it was a very very nice medal ceremony attire, and yeah, they they walk you through the the building and eventually you get to the 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 point where you can totally feel that you take a couple more steps forward that you are going to be out in the open in front of everybody they you know do the whole introduction and things like that and you hear your name you walk onto the the stage onto the podium this year was a lot a lot more special because the the person who was handing out the medals, given COVID-19, they actually handed your medal to your guide. So the person who helps you, who assists you in competition, and your guide was the one who placed the medal around your neck. And so I think that for my guide, Wesley, that was, that was a really special moment for us. That has never happened before. So the very person who helped you to get to that point was the person who awarded you with the medal, and, and, you know, you, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh,
0: that's, that's amazing. So, I mean, I know the answer to this, maybe you can tell the audience of uh, how you finished in the, in the games and then maybe that would also cue up, uh, you know, what's next uh, for your athletic uh,
1: endeavors. The finish in Tokyo. So I finished with the silver, definitely wanted the gold always going for the gold, but, the silver is, is better than the bronze is better than nothing. And to even be at the, the Paralympics, you know, there, there's a lot of athletes who unfortunately didn't make it to the games. So certainly perspective is everything when you when you really break it down and look at it. But that, that continues to fuel that fire for the road of hit the road ahead. Three years to go until Paris. I'll get back out here in the next month or so and start that that transformation because i'm i'm right now i'm in like out of shape mode <laughs> so i need to get <laughs> back out there and uh get back in shape and and get get turn into a optimist prime i need to transform get back into some some competition shape
0: Jeez, i should be in san diego now now would be the time to invite you for a beer because once you start transforming that's it right <laughs> come on
1: come hey come hey, on
0: hey, there you go yeah um um So outside of athletics, uh, I just want to have me a couple more questions. Um, You know, what do you do with your time? Like, what do you do for fun?
1: For fun, of course, being here in San Diego, you have beaches, you have, I'll check out movies every now and then. I like to listen to, to YouTube. I'm definitely getting to those, get trapped into that YouTube rabbit hole at times. Listen to books on Audible, hang out with my guide, Wesley. We love to, just go out and, and and do anything except for uh, like sport you need that time to mentally rest and recover and to really give your yourself the chance to to breathe. Um, certainly love to to travel I love to check out other sports basketball, football, baseball shout out to the Atlanta Braves World Series winners I'm from North Carolina and we don't have a, a baseball team so growing up I always, always rooted for the Braves. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, just really wanted to just have a good time, love music. I do a lot of speaking as well for different organizations and and companies. And although people may think it, it, you know, look at it as work, it is, that is a lot of fun too. Oh, no, for
0: sure. For
1: sure. The, uh,
0: yeah, Atlanta Braves. I think it's been what? It's been about a quarter man, century, six like, years or something. You know what?
1: <laughs> I, I I jab. I was jabbing some Cowboys fans recently because I was like, man, you know what? I think the last time the Braves won was when the Cowboys won the title. Cowboys fans always, every single year, are oh, we gonna win the Super Bowl? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was it? About ninety-five? Maybe I don't. I, I don't, think so. I don't, yeah, the I Cowboys so. won yeah. in ninety-five. I think the Braves too in ninety-five. I think, it was
0: 95. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a been a while uh <laughs> yeah. so just uh, maybe, maybe to wrap up I was uh, you know when I think about your your story you yeah, I mean other people who have um, you know pushed the boundaries um, as Paralympic athletes as well but you certainly embody that um, in that you have taken an obstacle and in some ways made it made it your strength um, and it brings to, to mind a, a book um that i read uh, a while back it called uh, the obstacle is the way by ryan holiday i don't know if you've heard of that mm. book
1: but uh, i have not but I'm, yeah. uh, I'm about to put that in the queue
0: yeah no that's uh you know it's a great it's a great book um a lot of sports teams actually picked that one up apparently um but yeah it, you know i'm just wondering if you have any you know words of wisdom so other people who uh i guess if i had to put it if you could do for other people what your mom did for you in terms of mindset around uh what's often perceived as a d- disability you know what what would you want to tell a you know broad audience of people who might be uh, might be listening
1: yeah i think a lot of it revolves around my my mantra which is no need for sight when you have a vision a lot of people hear that or look at that and say oh okay that makes sense he's 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 blind this person's visually impaired that you know, that resonates with them when in actuality, I think that is something that should resonate with everyone. It's not our sight or lack of sight at the end of the day that that really determines success. It's your ability to see a vision and to, to develop a plan and to connect with the right people and to do everything in your power to bring that vision into fruition. For me, when I had lost my sight, The challenge was I felt isolated and disconnected from the rest of the world because I couldn't see and because of how the the world tends to treat us as people who are blind or people who have a, a disability. The realization was that everything that has been created and everything that will be created always starts with a vision. You see it within yourself. You see it within others before it can move to that next step of becoming reality and where you are currently and where your vision is there's you know there's there's probably a little bit of a gap but your ability to develop that plan and, and again connect with the appropriate people and you to have that resilience and to be relentless that's going to help you to to close that gap and eventually what you saw off in the horizon off in the distance, it's going to be something that you can reach out and and touch. And that goes for any of us, whether we have a visual impairment or not. I can see why
0: people invite you to speak. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, <laughs> getting, uh, you're quite inspirational. Um, and then if if there's no objections, I might steal your mantra. Yeah, uh, st- no, need, steal no, need for, no need for sight when you have a vision. And use it for the title for this podcast. I think it's a yeah. great title. Uh, so well i give you a give me credit for that so um lex this has been a lot of fun um you know we uh certainly wish you all the best in the the training and um as you uh get into optimus prime mode and uh, <laughs> certainly be, be rooting for you down the road um but it's certainly been a, been a pleasure uh, pleasure speaking with you and
1: hopefully it's not the last time definitely i appreciate it sean yeah we will have to do this again we will have to do it at the pairs
0: we can maybe do that do that in person that'd be great I'm going to put that on the calendar I don't have any bookings for 2024 just yet so
1: okay (laughs) all right
0: right, Lex thanks for your time I appreciate it and that concludes today's episode of the broad eye podcast if you enjoyed this episode please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform of course ratings and reviews are always welcome and you can certainly share this episode with any of your colleagues or friends who might enjoy it